Hi, my name is Sarah Lauren Crump, and you are listening to the Carolina Recycling Podcast. If you needed a boost of positivity in recycling news for the Carolinas, then this is the episode for you. This week, I have a chat with Chaz Miller. As a veteran of the recycling industry, Chaz is a wealth of knowledge of recycling market trends and even has an award-winning column with Waste360. This week, we are looking at the recycling market, restoring faith in recycling, and the steps we can take to individually enhance recycling in our own communities. We hope you enjoy this episode, and if you do, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media for updates on recycling, sustainability, and circularity in the Carolinas. But I feel like I'm talking to a legend. I feel like I've read so many of your articles and I've never gotten the pleasure to actually meet you. So it's nice to at least virtually uh, good meet, to meet you. Sure. Um, so hopping right into it, I, I took a listen back to the previous interview um, just this morning, actually, to sort of make, make myself feel like I know what I'm doing um, and just sort of get a wrap up of what you spoke about last time. And on the last episode that you joined us for, there was some discussion about how e-commerce had and was affecting the markets, especially after that first year of COVID and how there was more of a reliance on folks at home recycling things like corrugated cardboard. Um, and as we're on the hopeful upside of the pandemic and seeing things adapting to a new normal, what are your thoughts on how things are progressing or being hindered due to that e-commerce factor? Actually, as a percentage of overall retail sales, e-commerce peaked in the third quarter of 2020. Uh, mm -hmm. And then it went down because stores reopened and we're fundamentally a social species. We like mm -hmm. to get out and see each other. It doesn't mean that e-commerce sort of disappeared. It didn't, it's still very strong and still very vital, but it hasn't gained market share, if you will, at the expense of uh, brick and mortar stores. And the other trend that's, that's more fascinating, but it's really sort of the story of packaging is the ability of Amazon and other users of e-commerce in terms of, in the sense of shippers, their ability to make the outer package use less and less material. And they've done this in two ways. One is through a shift away from simply using corrugated boxes as the, as the outer package to using flexible uh, packages. The flexible packages can be either be all plastic, they can be all paper, or they can be a mix of the two. They've also lowered their use of just of overall use of corrugated through a project they call right sizing. And right sizing involves two things. One is that the basic thing is get the air out of the package. They just want to ship the product. So what happens is the product would be going down the conveyor belt. As it moves down, it's being weighed and it's being measured for size. And then it gets to a point where the box is actually created for it and wrapped around the product. You're seeing this more and more at Amazon uh, fulfillment centers and other large e-commerce users. And the benefits for, an, for anybody who ships a lot of e-commerce are very simple. You have much better control over the load in each container. You can put them in much more, you can eliminate air pockets from the containers that are used to ship all these packages from one fulfillment center to a particular distribution center. Again, why ship? Why pay to ship air? And it's much more efficient than when the truck is driving down the street delivering the package. And uses less corrugated. 
So their actual use of corrugated packaging has gone down fairly substantially as, as a result of this. It's kind of a classic example of source reduction that not a lot of people know or talk about, but that actually has a big impact on recycling and on just the, the amount of package you use every day. Aside from that, curbside collection of packaging of those boxes seems to be increasing very nicely. I'm, uh, certainly my own experience where I live, I always see a lot of boxes put out on recycling day. Well, it sounds like we're starting out with some good news then. I, those are all handy tips. I, I didn't know about that with the um, like the elimination of air. Like you said, why yep. shift air? Um, do you think that producers' commitments to using recycling content for like the sake of like packaging from just two years ago have held up? And are those sort of promises being kept with stuff like that? <laughs> it, it depends on the package. Uh, the corrugated box naturally has a lot of recycled content. But what they call corrugated medium, which is that little fluted lining between the two sides of a corrugated box, that's traditionally fairly high in recycled content. And now you're seeing more recycled content in the liner board itself. But that's sort of a given because that industry is very used to using recycled fibers. So they know how to do it. Their customers want it. So they're just doing more and more. And we've seen more capacity to use old corrugated boxes to make new boxes. So that's all gone together very nicely. On the other side, it's harder to say how much were well-meaning promises that weren't well thought through versus actual buying. There was a tremendous spurt in buying of natural HDPE back in, in the summer of, of 2021. And that was all driven by company commitments to use more recycled content. You can take natural, you can use it for any kind of pack, plastic package that uses HDPE, uh, because you just dye it whatever color you need. And then I think what happened was a lot of procurement guys uh, sort of realized how much money they were spending on raw materials and they called a halt to it because you can only, there's limits to how much you can pay for packaging. And the orders dropped down and we saw that ripple effect in a lot of the recycled materials that hit aluminum too. Uh, we'll see how it plays out this year. Uh, recycled content laws are great for expanding the base of potential users of recycled content, but they have less impact on the actual price because price is a function of a lot of other economic variables, including the economy as a, as a whole. That makes total sense. Well, hopefully we can continue on an upswing that is that is positive and not too negative. Um, speaking of well-meaning, uh, like you mentioned, one of your one of your newest articles was on wish cycling that I found really interesting. And I was just wondering, what are your overall thoughts on how wish cycling and those well intentions that are not always, you know, great in the long scheme, yeah. I guess never are. How do you think that affects the market and just the overall concept of how people are thinking about recycling now? Well, there's really two kinds of wish cycling. One is when people put the wrong thing into their bin because they wish it could be recycled. And that's what affects markets more because it has that, um, it, it affects the cost of the MRF of cleaning up what the MRF can sell and, and, and getting the wrong stuff out. The other kind of recycling is recycling that affects policy, where people think that we pass a policy and magically everybody will respond in this country. And that's not the way people work in this country. People 
tick to other other urges and 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 other other reasons and I, you see this in, in, in goals that are set too high for recycling. You see this in some of the recycled content laws that are simply asking for too much recycled content too quickly. And you see this in some of the policies that say, well, we'll pass this and everybody will recycle. Well, they won't. Yeah. And so it, it sort of cuts both ways. It cuts both with what people do on a daily basis and with how the whole concept of, of pass a law and everything will be perfect just doesn't work out in the real world. Absolutely, and uh, as touched on on the previous episode that you interviewed uh, with us, the idea of that, just the convenience factor for a lot of people, I'm sure that that causes a large discrepancy, like especially people who are out and about, like if you're if you're like in a, in a, a large chain store like Target where they do have recycling uh, containers along with like just waste in general, I feel like a lot of things just sort of get tossed in and people just walk out. People are in a hurry. Uh, in a hurry. I don't know why. People just need to slow down a little bit. Maybe if we slowed down and just thought about it just a little bit more. But it would help a lot of things. <laughs> that's the hope. That's that's my wish <laughs> for wish cycling. You know, 30 years ago, McDonald's and EDF, the Environmental Defense Fund, did this major project looking at how to recycle more of McDonald's. They examined their operations top to bottom. This was in the early 90s. And one of the things they realized was behind the counter, McDonald's controlled everything. And they could do pretty much whatever they wanted behind the counter. Car the boxes, they could sell those instead of paying to have them hauled away. Other things they could put in to lower their use of, of waste, to, to, to lower their use of materials that would become waste and to increase recycling. In front of the counter, their customers, they could ask them what to do, but they simply can't control where their customers put their material, either in the store itself or away. And I think that's true of any business. And, you know, it, anytime you fly, you see the recycling bins in an airport, it's just depressing. People are in a rush. There, there are so many things. I think that's why in the airports, I don't know if you've noticed, like recently, I know in ours here in Charlotte is my closest international airport. Like the waste bins are are pretty open. Like you can toss stuff in, but the recycling ones have a door on them. And yeah. I don't know, maybe that that makes me more sad, even though maybe it shouldn't. But I'm like, I just want to look in there. But then I would probably be detained. And then, you know, I couldn't get on my flight if I started rummaging through the recycling. But there are a few questions that I have for you um, regarding how you think that folks are, are responding to news such as, uh, a certain article that came out late last year about how recycling is failing. Um, and I loved your take sort of against that about things that just weren't mentioned. And there was just a lot of in-depth talk about what is going correctly. And it just makes me think like, how is a small local government or small statewide associations like ours supposed to be able to counter those huge national news outlets that literally everyone across the country sees who, you know, they're showing the same negative messages. What's the best way to, you know, counter and combat that in, in a way that's going to have people's interest still peaked? Well, I think it's two things. First of all, keep the service reliable. So the people know when they put their stuff in the curb, it will be collected. And they have done that part. I think local governments need to highlight where the recyclables go. About 20 years ago, the Philadelphia newspaper did a fascinating series on tracking where the recyclables collected at the curbside in Philly, where they went, the newspaper, 
the boxes, the glass, and, the, and they tried, they, the, the reporters went to the, the glass plant, they went to the plastic facilities, and this is the new products that were made out of them. I, I, that's important, I believe. And recently, I think it was the Raleigh paper had a really cool article looking at his recycling worth of time. And the article made it very clear, yes, it is. We need to have more of that in the press. We, we just, a basic pushback to, to this idea that it's all a fraud, it's all a waste. In fact, it is working. It's imperfect, Absolutely. but it is working. Absolutely, and and do you think that we need like a national leader or leaders to be more dedicated to fighting this misinformation at a higher level? Yes, it's easier said than done. Always, always. It, 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 it really requires one of the national groups to, to make it a priority to work with the press after a bad story, explain where it went wrong. This is not adversarial. Right. This is simply saying, hey dude, this is, you, you missed a fact here. This is This is what it should be. You got to expect some frustration. You got to understand that various groups have their own agenda. Uh, Dan Leaf at Resource Recycling did an absolutely brilliant takedown of the Greenpeace story, just pointing out the way they totally manipulated the number. And I don't think Greenpeace ever responded to that for two reasons, one of which they couldn't. And the other one of which is why they just want to ignore the, the, the response. What do you say when you're you're kind of wrong? <laughs> I guess I guess they just would rather be silent. Yeah, and most reporters on the environment they're generalists, they're not specialists, so they mean well, but they see this narrative and it feeds upon itself. They look at, for instance, the frontline story, and the problem with the frontline story was, oh, it was very nice that she saw those letters in the files, but what else did she see in the files that was never disclosed? And what was the context behind somebody saying in 1973, the plastic could not be recycled? Well, back then, the plastic stuff that we were using was a lot of products. Tupperware, for instance, comes to mind immediately. A lot of those kinds of uses for plastics. The only real plastic packaging in 1973 was saran wrap. Oh, yeah. Who, who recycled saran wrap? You can't. You couldn't then. You can't now. But to say that means that all plastic recycling is fake, that to me as a reporter just going is totally out of line. Absolutely. Knowing, knowing what they wanted the story to be and not finding the true data and putting it in context to back it up. What are your thoughts on what we consider to be more, I guess, like aligned groups, like anti-plastic groups and the, the plastic PBS documentary that came out who may actually be causing damage to recycling participation in an effort to reduce waste, but clearly without thinking about the impact of their messages, which in turn like denigrate recycling? Most, well, <laughs> I'm censoring myself. <laughs> I honestly don't know if they're doing it intentionally or because they are so obsessed with disliking plastics, they don't care about collateral damage. Uh, honestly, I think it's the latter. They see recycling of plastic as something that justifies the use of plastic, therefore just attack away. Plastics have their advantages. They are lightweight. They have eliminated millions and millions and millions of tons of waste because they are lighter weight than many of their competitors. They have disadvantages. 
there are some products that plastics are the only suitable thing for. Uh, if you've ever been in a hospital, you want all that packaging to be in a nice sterile plastic package. You don't want it to be something that got casually reused. Absolutely. And, and it was interesting with, with some of the anti-plastic groups, they were, they all of a sudden said, oh, oh, some of this stuff is okay. We know we need it for health reasons or other stuff. I think that was a hard admission for them to make. And if you think of the way plastics permeate our society, our cars, our airplanes, you want heavier cars, you have heavier cars, you're gonna be using more gas to drive. There's a lot of fundamental things here. And yeah, maybe we shouldn't drive cars nearly as much. I get that. Maybe we shouldn't fly as much. I get that. But you have to be a little more focused in what you really don't like about plastics and which ones you're, 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 you're attacking and then stop conflating some bad packages with all of plastic. Absolutely, and staying, I feel like, realistic with the goals and what's actually happening is important instead of like automatically like wanting everything to just go away or be one way or the other. Yep. Some industries, aluminum and steel in particular, are heavily dependent on recycling. And without recycling, the impact on virgin's resources, virgin resources would be absolutely horrific whether it's bauxite extraction or, or uh, further use cutting down of trees, whether it's on tree farms or, or otherwise, just to make paper products. Uh, those, it, it's in some ways as a, as, as a society, we don't realize how much recycled content we already use and, and in, in so much of, of what we use in our daily life because so, much, it's so little of it is publicized. Absolutely. That is a good point. So we are going to do we're going to do the best we can on our front to be putting the information out and fighting where we need to fight. No more silence. So I like that. I like like the idea of just not being silent and politely fighting back when we can. Sometimes sometimes it just takes a lot to hold the tongue. Yeah. <laughs> Switching gears into market. Like as the global economy continues to fluctuate, what's your prediction for the market trends for the rest of 2023? Well, first of all, you have to say where the economy is going. And I did, most economists will really admit they still don't understand this, this economy, this, this COVID slash post-COVID economy. Uh, we're seeing market prices going up. And uh, in, in the work that I do for NERC on a monthly basis, virtually all the prices went up at the end of March compared to February. Uh, three of the four plastics, uh, the paper was flat, but then it went up a week into, into April. Oh, wow. Uh, so that is good. And I think what's going on in some ways is, is some seasonal demand on, on, for instance, the aluminum can and, and the PET side, for instance. Summer is your biggest market. Makes that's, sense. That's, yes, that's, that's when you have the biggest use of your container. So now is when you're going to start putting in the orders for what you need. And I think what happened on the paper side is their inventories got too low and they started to have to do some restocking to get inventories back built up. Export market has remained somewhat healthy. Exports, both paper and plastic, were down last year. And I, I think they're going to keep going down a little bit. Shipping rates have gone down. But the economy itself is such a mystery. Uh, and procurement guys who are really the ones who decide our fate when they make those orders every month for whether it's new, new raw materials for their products or whether it's for boxes to ship those final products in, 
they're not very optimistic about where the economy is going. So you see the indexes of new orders and you see the index of manufacturing activity below 50 when you want it above 50. So it's just a weird economy. Uh, but prices are going up. I'm cautiously optimistic about the rest of the year. If I really understood this market and this economy, I could give you a better answer. But it's just such a weird economy. Well, I think I think the term cautiously optimistic is all I need to know. That should be the name <laughs> of the episode. Matt, that's a note for you. Um, just kidding. But no, cautiously optimistic is, I feel like that's the only way to really navigate any of the waters that are going on yep. right now from the economy to just life. Um, but just looking, looking at how everything is now, is there anything specific that you would just like to say in general for recyclers or, you know, people who are, are jumping on and understanding more about circularity and sustainability? Do you have any words of wisdom or just well, any cool things to pass along? Th there's one trend uh, that I think is, is, is really cool, and that's the increase of capacity in North America to use paper, recycled paper, and to use recycled plastic. That is, that is huge. And we've seen this for several years on the paper side and there's somewhere between six and 8 million new tons of capacity. That's all based on recycled content. It's all based on old corrugated containers and residential mixed paper. And, and that's a reality. On the plastic side, for a long time, we were seeing a lot of press releases of announcements. Hey, we're gonna build this. Hey, we're gonna build that. But we didn't see press releases saying, hey, we built it. Now we're starting to see that. Uh, ExxonMobil with its plant in Texas. It's, I understand that chemical or molecular or advanced, whatever you want to call it, recycling is controversial. But if it works and it works at scale, and in particular, if it gets the kind of plastics nobody thinks about, artificial turf. Yeah. Uh, computer parts that are made out of plastic. Uh, all these kinds of things that we don't do at the curbside, but there are plastics and you can either reuse them, recycle them, or you can throw them away. I think it's great. Circularic zone to open up a new PET processing facility in Pennsylvania. ACI did one for film in Michigan. Uh, Republic Services with what it's doing, both with its plastic facility in Vegas and its announcement that it'll be building a new one somewhere in the Midwest, location un unknown yet. I think these are all signs of more and more interest in people who want to buy this material and make them into new products. And I think that part of the equation is particularly good. Well, here is to saying cautiously optimistic then. Chaz, I am out of questions. I feel like I've just gotten to speak with a living legend and please forgive me <laughs> being early, uh, and, and just brain lapse there. Um, but it's been wonderful getting to speak with you. Thank you for uh, taking time out to to join us for another episode. And hopefully we can get another update either sometime a little bit later in the year or early next year. Sure. With you. I'd be happy to. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Chaz. Thank you. Have a good day. You do the same. Thank you. Bye. As always, the Carolina Recycling Association appreciates the support from our diamond sponsors, Pratt Recycling and Sunoco Recycling. A big thank you to Chaz Miller for sharing his insights on this episode. Always great to hear from him. Here's a theme song from Tom Mahar.